continue with the series on the doctrine of baptisms, which is the third of the um, elementary principles taught to us in the scriptures, um, as listed for us in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And those elementary principles are the foundation doctrines that uh, we are taught in the body of Christ, and each believer should have a full understanding of those uh, doctrines. And the doctrines are uh, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we are dealing in this series with the third of those uh, six foundational doctrines, which is the doctrine of baptisms. And we've already gone through the fact that the scriptures very plainly teaches us it's baptisms plural, and there are three baptisms taught to the body of Christ. The first is to be baptized into Christ, and that which that it happens to every believer as we're born again. The Holy Spirit Himself baptizes us into the body of Christ, and we are fully immersed into Christ when we are born again. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence on the inside of our spirits when we are born again. And then we saw that there are two subsequent baptisms that are experienced by believers. Uh, after they are born again. Not all believers partake of these baptisms, however, all believers can and should partake of these baptisms. And these baptisms are primarily for this life that we dwell in now, and in order to help us to walk the Christian walk as we should walk them. And so the two baptisms that occur after salvation is water baptism and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we've discussed water baptism at length, and we're in the, uh, on the third of the, those baptisms, baptisms now, we're discussing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we, uh, we've had a look at how to receive the Holy Spirit. We looked at some practical uh, examples, um, teaching kind of, to help people to receive the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that they may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we've had a look at the gift of tongues, and that is really the area that we're concentrating at this, on at this point in time because uh, we saw that the main evidence and the primary evidence of one being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that they would begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And so the, this gift of tongues um, is for the church, given to the church age. It was not given to the saints before um, the baptism, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And that gift has been given to the body of Christ, and it is a, a tremendous blessing given to the church that we can speak in uh, an unknown language um, to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord as we are led by the Holy Spirit to do so. And so we also had a look at the, because now we're exploring this, this gift of tongues, so we can more fully understand what its purpose is, why God has decided to give the church this gift of tongues. For the gift of tongues is only for this dispensation. When um, our Lord returns, the gift of tongues will pass away. Uh, there will no longer be the gift of tongues and the gift of uh, discerning of of, well, the gift of the interpretation of tongues, I don't want to go into the other gifts at this point in time, but those two particular gifts will fall away. Um, the Bible talks about the fact that we will have a pure language when our Lord returns, and so all believers will be speaking one language given to them by God at that time. However, at this particular time, while we dwell on this earth, 
we have this gift given to us for those who have partaken of the baptism of the Holy Spirit we have the gift of tongues that has been given to us by God through his Holy Spirit and then we had a look at the fact that there are two different uh, kinds of tongues uh, taught to us in the New Testament and that's where a bit of confusion has arisen in the past for Paul has said in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 do all speak with tongues do all interpret and he also says do all prophesy um, and so Christians have said, okay, so that means that not all Christians speak in tongues. But that's not what Paul was talking about at all in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 on those particular instances. Paul was talking about the gift of diverse kind of tongues. And the gift of diverse kind of tongues is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the church age. And just as prophecy is one of the gifts given to the church, so the gift of diverse kind of tongues is also given to the church. Not given to every member of the church, only certain members in the body of Christ uh, are endowed with that particular gifting. And that gifting is used to, to primarily to be spoken out in a church gathering, for it is God the Holy Spirit speaking to the church through that individual by divine utterance at that given moment, just as prophecy is. It just the only difference is is that when that utterance is given out it's given out in a tongue that no one understands and that is why the gift of the interpretation of tongues has to be working in conjunction with this particular gift called diverse kind of tongues and those two gifts together equal prophecy according to scripture which is correct because uh, when one gives out a, a, a message in diverse kind of tongues and somebody else interprets that, it's exactly the same as if one was prophesying and the church would then be edified through that particular gifting. And so that gift is uh, a separate gift. It is not the gift given to each believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit. For on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, every single believer uh, will speak with other tongues. That is the ev evidence given to the church that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are instances where people are filled with the Holy Spirit and there's tremendous power that they experience, tangible power of God coming upon them. However, not in all cases is this the, does this happen, and Scripture teaches us this. But in all cases, uh, the believers do speak with other tongues. And so the, there is a difference between the prayer language given to the individual who's baptized in the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues given to an individual who will speak out um, a divine utterance in a, in a church gathering. That's the difference between the two gifts of tongues. And then we had a look at the fact that tongues is, um, helps us to pray effectively, for it prays the perfect will of God. When we are praying with our spirits, we are praying the perfect will of God. And whenever you're going to pray the perfect will of God, you're going to be praying effectively, believe you me. There's uh, no prayer given in the spirit that is fallen on deaf ears. For this, when we pray in the spirit, we pray directly to God. For the Bible teaches us that he who prays in an unknown tongue Praise unto God. Speaks, uh, he does not, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And so one who speaks in a tongue is speaking directly to God, given, and that utterance is given to him by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And so that prayer is always heard. And then we had a look at the fact that uh, prayers of our understanding can, and, uh, can be hindered from time to time. 
And uh, we looked at two reasons why our prayers of our understanding can be hindered. And we saw that when we were walking in uh, known sin, um, we're now walking in darkness and our prayers of understanding are now hindered. Um, and we quoted the scripture from Peter when he said, um, guys, make sure that you're walking in, in, in the right relationship with your spouse um, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And he went on to say that uh, God's ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. And we, and we saw that when you are walking in darkness, when you're walking in sin, you're no longer walking in righteousness. And it's with our understanding that we walk in uh, darkness and we walk in sin. And uh, so those prayers of understanding are now hindered. They're blocked. That word hindered means to be blocked. And so God does not hear those prayers. However, throughout the time that we might be walking in darkness because of sin in our lives, our spirits are unaffected. Our spirits remain unaffected. For we have been born again. And uh, our spirits are still um, in complete fellowship with God. God the Holy Spirit never leaves us nor forsakes us. He dwells within us. Our spirits have become the temple of God. And He takes a full-time residence in our, in our spirits. And so when we pray with our spirits, uh, those prayers are still heard. Even though the Christian might be walking in um, unforgiven sin, has, been, has stepped out of the light into darkness, and their prayers of their understanding is now, are now being hindered, the prayer of the Spirit is not. And so when we, even a, a Christian who's walking in, in known sin, when they're praying in their spirit, they, those prayers are heard by God. And their spirit most probably, as we said, is probably praying to God the Father that uh, he would do something to, to bring this particular individual to repentance. For it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's what the, 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 uh, would, would take place in the spirit when that person's uh, praying with their spirit. And so that was the one hindrance to our prayers of our understanding. Another hindrance to our prayers of our understanding is um, when we pray outside of the will of God. And we looked at John's uh, epistle where he said, um, um, we have confidence when we pray according to the will of God, knowing that he hears our prayers. And so we saw that one who is praying outside of the will of God, um, God doesn't hear those prayers specifically. And well, he, if he does hear them, he doesn't answer them. And we gave the, the example given to us of Paul praying. When Paul um, was seeking uh, relief from the Lord because he'd been really taking a lot of strain from the angel that was sent of Satan to buffet him. And he said three times he prayed to the Lord uh, that this particular uh, thorn in the flesh might be removed from him. And for, so for the first two times, God was completely silent when Paul prayed. And God didn't answer Paul. He never even replied to Paul. On the third occasion, God eventually replied to Paul. But when he replied to Paul, he just explained to Paul, I'm not going to answer your prayer because what you're asking me to do is outside of my will. Because I'm the one who actually said to Satan to allow that um, angel to come and buffet you. And then we looked at the reasons for that. And so... Paul recognized because our Lord said, my, um, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul recognized that 
His grace, by our Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is perfected in weakness. And so Paul recognized that the grace of God on his life was more than sufficient to deal with the situations that were coming against him. They're not going to be taken away. He was going to continue to be persecuted and he was going to continue to be buffeted. However, he had the grace of God and the strength of God to overcome in those situations and be able to go through. And so he said, I glory in my tribulations. but the point was, is that for three times Paul prayed, twice the Lord didn't even answer him. The third time the Lord did answer him, just giving him an explanation as to why he wouldn't answer his prayer. Um, and so, because why? Because Paul was praying outside of the will of God. It was the will of God that that particular angel would buffet Paul. And so, when we're praying outside of the will of God, very often we come against, uh, almost like a... Uh, a brick wall because we hear nothing from God and you know we, we don't quite understand why we're not hearing from God well it, it most probably is because we're praying outside of his will and um, God doesn't answer those prayers in his grace sometimes he explains to us why he doesn't answer those prayers but he doesn't answer certain prayers if they're outside of his will and so we have learned that when we pray with our spirits we are always praying the perfect will of God we never pray outside of the perfect will of God and so those prayers are always heard and that is one of the tremendous blessings that are that we have as believers in that we always know that when we're praying with our spirits that God is hearing those prayers and that is a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ and let's just have a look at our text verse again today um, and then we'll go on. There's a couple of issues I want to deal with today. We're going to see how far we get. We're going to look at growing strong in spirit, for that is part of um, what takes place when we pray with our spirit. We're going to look at being led by the Holy Spirit, because that is also what, a part of what takes place when we're praying with our spirit. And then finally, I want to look at um, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit given to us as a guarantee. Um, and let's see how far we go. But let's open up with this particular text verse that we've looked at in the past that deals with this topic of tongues, for that is really what the, the subject of today's teaching is all about. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 2. Paul teaching us, um, well, the Holy Spirit through Paul teaching us, he says, For he who speaks in a tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, In the spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Uh, Verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. And in verse 18. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. And so Paul Thank the Lord that he spoke with tongues more than everybody else at that particular time. And most probably, he, he still holds the record today um, as one who, who spoke with tongues more than any other believer. And there was a specific reason for that. Paul understood it. The Lord taught him that this gift was such a blessing to get to him. And so he used it um, to great uh, effectiveness. And there's a reason why Paul was given such a huge amount of revelation from the Lord, because He lived in the Spirit. He walked in the Spirit. He prayed with the Spirit more than anything else. And so we get to the point of growing strong in Spirit. Um, 
when we pray in tongues, our spirit is edified. The scripture is very plain on that point, and we'll have a look at that in, in depth. But it is, it is of, it's essential for believers to grow strong in spirit. Again, I want to go back to comparing the Old Covenant saints with the New Testament saints. There's a huge difference between the two. And I, 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 I get saddened when I, I listen to preachers uh, quoting Old Testament saints and putting them forward as examples of how we should be living our lives. Because although they, they were uh, tremendous uh, uh, saints of the Lord and they really did the best that they could, they didn't, have an, an, they didn't have anything come close to what the New Testament saint has available to them. Even the ones who were t completely anointed by God, I don't know, think about Moses, think about Elijah, had tremendous power of God and anointing of God upon them. Not one of those saints had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. Each one of them were spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and, and God would, by His grace and His uh, miraculous ability, work through them to be able to do certain things. However, they could not walk as Jesus walked for they were spiritually dead. And so they had such a, uh, a difference in, 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 they had so many shortcomings that we don't have to put up with under the new covenant. For our, you know, Jesus is the only one who came to the earth and he lived the perfect life as a man. A, a, a lot of Christians struggle with this concept, but Jesus Christ walked the earth as a man, as, as you and I. He had no um, endowment from God that he was now able to walk as the Son of God. Now, He was the Son of God, but He walked the earth as the Son of Man. And so Jesus walked from the day He was born until the day He went to the cross as the perfect man. He, he faced every temptation that you and I ever have to face, and more. And He never committed sin at any time. But He never committed sin as a man. It's not that he never committed sin because he had the supernatural power of God. To the, you know, sin just wasn't going to come and touch him. No, he could have committed sin. If, if it was not possible for Jesus to commit sin, his redemption of mankind would have been illegal. Jesus had to be tempted as we, were, as we are. Jesus had to be made in exactly the same uh, likeness that we are in. Uh, he had to partake of flesh and blood that we partake of. He had to uh, go through everything that we go through. But he did it without ever once committing any sin. Now, one of the things that happened to our Lord, um, which none of the Old Testament saints it could happen to, was that our Lord grew strong in spirit. Our Lord grew in his spirit. None of the Old Testament saints could have that because they were spiritually dead. Their spirits could not grow strong. Their spirits could not, they could not become strong in spirit. Jesus could because he never died spiritually. Um, when, when everybody that's born into the earth is born of God, the spirit, the spirit of man comes from God. God is the father of spirits. So every child that's born into the earth is born of God and they, they're born spiritually alive unto God. 
Um, when they reach the age of accountability, they die. Their spirits die um, at the age of 13. Paul said, I, um, I was alive once without the Lord, and the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And so Paul died when he, God held him accountable for his sin. And so every Old Testament saint reached that stage. David, Moses, Elijah, Daniel, all of them reached that stage where their spirits died and their spirits could no longer fellowship with God. They could, but by God's grace, um, he then allowed the fellowship from the point of view of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, but never dwelling within them. But their spirits could not grow strong because their spirits had now died. Our Lord Jesus, when He walked the earth, His Spirit could grow strong because He never died spiritually. The only time our Lord died was when He went to the cross. But all up until that time, He grew as a child. He grew strong in spirit. He became stronger in His Spirit. Now, as born-again believers, we are able to do that. Old Testament saints could not do that. We can, however, and we should grow strong in spirit. For he who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. So when, as Jesus grew strong in spirit, spirit, so we can also grow strong in spirit. All through the New Testament, the epistles, they talk about um, growing, uh, feeding on the on sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Paul talks about babes in Christ and becoming mature in Christ. Uh, John talks about children and young men and, 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 and fathers. And so the New Testament epistles refer to growth taking place in the life of the believer. Old Testament never refers to growth taking place in the life of those believers because they couldn't grow. Uh, they had no ability to grow. And so we have that ability for we are now in Christ. And we can grow in our spirits. And so it is so vital for the New Testament saint to grow strong in spirit. If our, our Lord Jesus, who is our example, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. If our Lord Jesus had to grow strong in spirit, then we too will have to grow strong. And we have that ability. God has given the New Testament saint the ability to grow strong in their spirits, to grow and become mature and no longer be babes in Christ, but to become mature uh, believers, walking in the spirit. So that is such a, a, a vital aspect of the New Testament uh, walk. And that's why I say you, you've got to really be, be careful, not, that might not be the right word, but when you're comparing yourself to Old Testament saints, just compare yourself with eyes open, knowing that you have so much more going for you than what they did. And so to say, well, yeah, I, I'm in good company because if, if David sinned, well, then yeah, I can sin too. No, that's not the case at all. David never had what you have available to you. David did not have the Holy Spirit living on, inside of him. David could not grow strong in his spirit. Um, and so David could only walk with God by his will and by uh, being obedient to his conscience. But his spirit, he, he couldn't rely on because his spirit was spiritually did. Um, the Bible talks about the fact that um, the, 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 their spirits were evil, uh, had the nature of, of the devil. And so it's kind of a weird 
thing to look at, but that's exactly how it is. So when we look out, that's why we look at Jesus. And that's why we look at the, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't say imitate Elijah. He said, imitate me. I'm the one who, who, who the Lord put forward as an example for you. Um, and so those are the people we should be looking to because those are the people who have the same um, uh, resources that we have available to us. And that is the, the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us, the fact that we can grow strong in spirit. And so it's such a blessing for the Christian to be able to grow strong in spirit. Strong Christians have strong spirits. Weak Christians have weak spirits. And so if you find that your Christian walk is a weak one, recognize that it's because your spirit is weak. You need to get your spirit up. You need to get your spirit strong. And there's ways that we do that. There's ways that we become stronger in spirit. And the, one of the ways we do it is that we, our spirits grow um, through the sincere milk of the word. Peter said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so the word of God nourishes our spirits. For we are born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Our spirits are born of the word of God. And so the, the very DNA of our spirits is the word of God. And our spirits need the nourishment of the word of God. Remember when our Lord was tempted by the devil in the, in the, in the wilderness, he, and the Satan said, you know, if you're hungry, turn that stone into, into bread, uh, if you're the Son of God. And Jesus comes back and he quotes to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, Jesus was dealing with Satan with that, that, that word that he quoted, but he was also quoting the truth in that the, our spirits need to be nourished by the Word of God, just as our physical bodies need to be nourished by physical food. If you stop eating food for a while, your body is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. Eventually, you will die. And so you have to nourish your physical bodies all the time in order to, because your physical bodies are expending energy all the time. And whatever you do, all the activities that you partake of in life, it expends energy. And so you have to keep renewing that energy by partaking of, of physical nourishment in the form of food. Your spirit is exactly the same. Your spirit needs to be fed with uh, nourishment because as you're continuing this walk as a, as a believer, you are expending energy, uh, spiritual energy all the time in your prayers, in, in walking by faith, in, in, in whatever it is that you're encountering. Your spirit is, is active. It, it is partaking of this life from that, that point of view of, of the spiritual side. And so it needs to be nourished. It needs to be fed. And again, the equation is if you stop feeding your physical body, your physical body will go weaker and weaker and eventually die. If you stop feeding your, your spiritual uh, body, that's not the right term, but if you stop feeding your spirit, your spirit will grow weaker and weaker and can eventually die. We don't want to get down that road today. But you do need to Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the word of God. That is our spiritual nourishment. And so part and parcel of feeding upon the word of God is praying in other tongues. Now you say, now that sounds just a little bit far-fetched. Where on earth do you get that from? Well, remember what the scripture says. Let's go back to our text verse. He says, in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So he's implying that my spirit is fruitful. 
I understand. It's only our understanding that is unfruitful when our spirits pray. Our spirits are fruitful. Why is that? Because our spirits understand the prayer uttered. Because that, that prayer that is uttered is the perfect, it's the word of God. It is God's word being spoken through our mouths in a tongue that our understanding does not understand. But our spirit does understand. For our spirit understands the, the, the language that they are speaking. You say, how do, you, how, do, how, do we, and how do we know that? Well, the scripture tells us that. The scripture says that he edifies himself um, when he speaks in a tongue. Now, it's, in, it's impossible because, don't forget, when I speak in a tongue, my mind is not edified because my mind is unfruitful. It does not understand. So I can speak in tongue. Paul said, I'd rather in a church gathering speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Paul, because... Five words in an understanding is going to bless the people around me because they'll understand what I said. But 10,000 words in a tongue is not going to bless anyone because they haven't got a clue what I've said. And so their understanding is unfruitful. There's, there's been no edification taking place, no benefit whatsoever. However, when I speak in a tongue, my spirit understands explicitly what is being said. And my spirit is thus edified um, with those words, because that is the word of God. Let's have a look at another scripture along this line. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, uh, verse 4, we're going to look at it now. It says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Okay, so he's equating the two now. He's, he's, he's comparing the two. So when I prophesy, I'm prophesying out of known language. Everybody understands the words that I'm speaking and everyone who hears that prophetic utterance is edified by that prophetic utterance. But when I speak with a tongue, I edify who? Myself. Who's myself he's talking about? It's not my understanding because my understanding is unfruitful. My mind doesn't know what I've said. But I edify my spirit. So my spirit is edified when I speak in a tongue. Why is my spirit edified? Because my spirit understands what I'm saying. Now, when I'm, what I'm saying, I'm not saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are when I speak in tongues. Not at all. I, don't forget, he who speaks in a tongue speaks to, not to men, but to God. And so the words that are being spoken through your lips are being spoken directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord by the Holy Spirit. And so those words are not twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Those words are powerful words of Almighty God. And your spirit is being edified as your spirit hears the words it speaks. Sounds kind of strange, but that's exactly what happens. Your just as your mind is edified by it when it hears the words that you speak through your mind. Um, we shared this, that our minds shut up to hear what our mouths have got to say. And that's when we're speaking in a known language, because your mind wants to focus on what's coming out of your mouth. And so as I'm speaking to you now, so I'm actually, my mind's picking up on stuff. I didn't know that, because it's coming out of my mouth. Um, I don't want to get too involved on that today. But the point is that when I'm speaking in a tongue, 
I edify, I build myself up. That's another way of that, that, that term edification mean, or edifies means to build oneself up, means to charge, as we would charge a battery, your cell phone battery, you needs to be charged. So that's pretty much a similar scenario. Remember I, I equated uh, feeding our spirits with replenishing the energy that we've expended. We need to replenish that energy uh, in order to not only to grow, but just to maintain our, our current status. Because if you keep expending energy and you never replace, you will get weaker and weaker. And so it, it is a double side to it. We need to replace the energy we expend, but we also need to grow. And so as we partake of the nourishment of God's word, so our spirits will also grow. Let's just carry on with that particular passage of scripture, which says in verse 27, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. And now listen to this. And let him speak to himself and to God. And so when we speak with a tongue, we're not only speaking to God, for the scripture says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. But the scripture also says that he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks to himself. The himself that he's speaking to is his own spirit. And so when we speak with tongues, our spirit is in fact speaking to God and at the same time speaking to itself. Um, and so the Spirit understands the words that are coming out of your mouth. And that has the effect of hearing the Word of God. Remember how many times did our Lord say these, these terms? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when our Lord was saying that, he was not talking about physical ears because everybody who heard him speak at the time were physically able to hear what he was saying. He was pointing to their spiritual ears and he was trying to uh, let them know that those who have got their spiritual ears are open. Let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so it's with our spiritual ears that we are to hear the Word of God. Now, even in, when we hear the Word of God in, in a known language, we still have to hear the Word of God with our spiritual ears in order for that Word to benefit us. Um, because it's only in our spirits that the Word of God can, in fact, benefit us as believers. And so we need to hear the Word of God um, spoken to us consistently in order for our spirits to grow stronger. And we hear the Word of God through, the, through the, uh, the Word of Understanding. We go to church and we hear the, the pastor preaching the Word of God. Uh, you listening to the Word of God being preached now, and that is a blessing to you. When we read the Word of God, that's a blessing to us as well. When we hear the Word of God, when people speak just in conversation about the Word of God, that is all feeding our spirits. But at the same time, when we pray in an unknown tongue, we are praying the Word of God. And when we pray the Word of God in an unknown tongue, our spirit understands that Word. That Word is, in fact, edifying our spirit at exactly the same time. It has a two-way uh, benefit in that we're praying to God and at the same time we're speaking to ourselves. And our spirits are being taught because things are being said in the spirit that your spirit didn't know. But now that God is allowing your spirit to speak it out, now your spirit knows that. And your spirit is now catching on and learning through the Word of God. It, it, it sounds kind of far-fetched, but that's spiritual stuff. Remember, uh, 
spiritual things are foolishness to the natural man. It's, it's the spiritual man that, that, that it makes sense to. And so we have to listen to the Word of God whenever we hear the Word of God taught. We must listen to the Word of God with our spiritual ears. Lord, open the eyes of my understanding that I may hear your Word, that I may understand with my spirit what it is that you would say to me. Let's have a Jude that kind of reinforces this concept as well about when we pray with our spirits that we are in fact edifying, building up, uh, nourishing our spirits at the same time. Jude 1 verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're praying with our spirits. It's not our understanding. For I, if I pray with the tongue, I pray with, uh, uh, let's just, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 14. I don't want to go back to quote that scripture again. But when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're praying in the Spirit. We're praying um, with tongues he's talking about. And so when he, he says, we build ourselves up on our most holy faith when we pray in tongues. Now, why does he link building yourself up in your most holy faith with praying in tongues? Because when our spirits grow stronger, our faith grows stronger as well. One can never be a strong, strong in spirit and weak in faith. And one can never be uh, strong in faith and weak in spirit. Those two will always be synonymous terms. If you grow strong in spirit, you will automatically grow strong in faith. For faith is of the heart. Faith is of your spirit. It's a spiritual force. And so as we grow strong in our spirits, our faith automatically grows strong as well. And uh, Jude is just confirming that with us by saying, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How? By praying praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's how we do it. We build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We in, our faith is increased at the same time. So it has such a tremendous blessing to the believer who consistently and, and, and frequently prays in other tongues. Paul said, I thank my God. I pray with tongues more than you all. And um, Paul was, uh, you know, he put himself forward as an example to the body of Christ. He said, folks, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's not too many preachers out there who are that bold to go to the body of Christ and say to them, I want you guys to imitate me. I've got it right. I, the, the life I live is going to get you where you need to go. Um, so if you really want to know how to live, look at me. Look at my example and follow me. Imitate me. Why, Paul? Because I'm imitating Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, let Paul put that in the Bible uh, because the Holy Spirit uh, knows what he's doing. And so he puts forward the Apostle Paul to the church and says that's who you should emanate because he is emanating Christ, your, your Lord and Savior. Now we look to Christ um, first. You know, the Bible says looking unto uh, Jesus, the author and, and, and finisher of our faith. And so we do, we look unto Christ. But it's also scriptural to look at the example given to us by Paul. And Jesus never prayed in tongues, by the way. He didn't need to, because he could, he, he could pray the perfect will of the Father. He was work, walking in that degree of fellowship. But he knows our shortcomings. He knows that our minds still have to be renewed. And he knows that we, 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 you know, we, we were so clueless when it comes to spiritual things um, in the natural realm that we have got a lot to learn. Paul said, we know in part. Now, when Paul said that, he knew more than anybody else. And he said, we know in part. 
And so we do, we only know in part. And no matter how much we know in this life, we still only know in part. But uh, the Holy Spirit inside of us knows, it, knows everything. And so He gives our spirits the utterance. And so we can pray the absolute perfect will of God for whatever situation we bring before the Father in prayer. And we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to be praying about this and I'm going to pray for it now with my spirit. And as I'm led by the Holy Spirit, I'll pray, pray with my understanding. But I'm going to give, uh, primarily, I'm going to be praying with my spirit about this because God, you know exactly what needs to be prayed about this situation. And so I'm going to give myself over now to praying with the Spirit. And so I'm praying to God the Father. He's hearing my prayer. I'm praying His perfect will. But at the same time, I'm praying the Word of God. And that Word is feeding my spirit. That Word is causing my spirit to be edified. That Word is charging up my spirit. That Word is building me up in my most holy faith. And so praying with the Spirit has a tremendous blessing. Uh, to the believer in, in, in this age. Then we get to the next aspect of praying with the Spirit, and that is being led by the Spirit. And the scripture in Galatians chapter 5, 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I want to look at another scripture. is in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Um, and there's a few other verses within that chapter I want to look at, but we'll start with verse 14. Scripture says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And in verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then verse 23, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, Now he who searches their hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And so it is God's express will that His children be led by the Spirit of God. For the Scripture says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's another blessing that we have under the New Covenant, is that we are led by the Spirit of God. Under the Old Covenant, the saints didn't have the Spirit of God to lead them. If they wanted to know what God's will was for their life, they had to go to the prophet. They had to go and say, you know, Samuel, uh, you know, we, we, we need to know whether we should be buying this property, yes or no. Can you, you know, inquire of God? And, so, and they had to take an offering to the, to the prophet, and they gave him the offering. And the prophet would say, okay, wait here, I will go and inquire from God for you. And it could take, on one occasion, the scripture talks, it took him 10 days, and then God answered. And so you wait there until the prophet comes back and he says, Thus saith the Lord, yes, go buy the property, or no, don't go buy the property. And then you're walking back to buy the, uh, go buy the property, and you forgot to ask the prophet how much you should pay for the property. So now you've got to go back and ask. Um, and so that's how the old covenant saints were led, because they didn't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. Under the new covenant, different, completely. Why? Because we had the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. 24-7. We don't go to prophets and say, Prophet, won't you please pray to God for me and get God's will for my life? Not at all. We just look inside because God's there. And He leads us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so that's the other blessing available to the saints 
under the new covenant, which were not available to the saints under the old covenant. So again, guys, when you compare yourself to saints under the old covenant, just bear in mind, there is no comparison in actual fact, because you have so much more going for you under this covenant, and you need to be walking in the light of what you have under this covenant. Look at them as examples. The Bible does talk about the fact that the old covenant saints are given to us, the acts that they did as examples to us, and you know, to do things in that manner or not do things in that manner. But there's certain limitations and you need to recognize what limitations they had and what uh, blessings we have and so based on that comparative you you look at the old covenant saints in the light of that um, so we come to being led by the holy spirit now and that is something that god is wanting to do for every one of his saints now when god says he wants to lead his children for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god he's talking about every aspect of our lives god is not interested in only leading us in us the spiritual aspects of our lives remember our lord jesus said when you go to god the father he knows what you need before you even ask him he created us he knows we need food and we need clothing we need uh, to pay our, the, the bills, to pay the rent, and to pay the school fees. He knows all of this, for God is God. Okay, so there's nothing he doesn't know. And he does want to be involved in every part of our lives, for he is God, and he, he, he expects to be involved in every part of our lives. And so he has the ability to lead us in every single aspect of our lives. You know, Jesus made this comment. He says, I do nothing but that which I see the Father do. I say nothing but that which I hear the Father say. And so you know, Jesus was walking in that close union and fellowship with God the Father through the Holy Spirit um, that he could confidently make that comment. Christians should be making exactly the same comment, that we do nothing but that which Jesus tells us to do. We say nothing but that which Jesus gives us to say. And we, because we should also be walking in that same degree of fellowship with God our Father and our Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit who resides within us. We have that ability. He, God doesn't get up and go away and come back at five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but during the day when we're at work, you know, God's busy, we're busy, and so you know, we, we'll, get, we'll catch up later, Lord, when we, when we have time together. No, God is with you all the time. In every meeting you go to, when you, on every bus ride you're on, in every car that you're driving, in every conversation that you're partaking in, God is there, right there, all the time. And quite willing and able to lead you in everything that you do, in every uh, conversation that you have. We, we need to, we have, we've got such a long way to go as a church to learn what is really available to us as believers. Uh, the, you know, Paul John said, uh, our fellowship is with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we invite you to partake of that fellowship that we're enjoying. And so that is what God is really wanting from His, His saints, is to have fellowship with Him. And that fellowship means that we're constantly in communication with Him, being led by Him in every single area of our lives. Now, now we come to, well, how does that tie in with, with tongues? Well, it ties in with tongues because we saw earlier that uh, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We just read it now in the scripture as well. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And so the scripture then pointed us to groaning in the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit groans, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we spoke about that. But praying in tongues, we said, is also praying in the Spirit. And that is praying the perfect will of God for whatever situation we might be facing. 
And so one of the aspects of praying in tongues that helps us being led of the Spirit is that we become more spiritual, spiritually conscious when we are praying in the Spirit. So how does it work? We, we would go to the Father in prayer about a specific situation, saying, God, I need your guidance here. I need your counsel. What should I be doing? And so I'm going to give myself over to praying in the Spirit now so that you can guide me and lead me. Now, so the, the Holy Spirit inside me knows exactly what I should do. Before I even get to Him, remember, God knows what we need before we even ask Him. And so before I even get on my knees, God knows what's going to happen, and God knows what I'm going to ask. But then I still have to ask. And so I get on my knees and I say, Father, I need your guidance in this situation. I need to know what I should be doing. In, as an old covenant saint, I would have had to go to the prophet and ask the prophet to go ask God on my behalf. But under the new covenant, I, I don't do that. Now I go directly to the Father through the name of Jesus, through our Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And I begin to pray. Now what I do, I pray, say, Father, I do not know what to do, but you know what to do. And your spirit bears witness with my spirit what I should do. Why do I say that? Because the scripture said that. Remember in Romans 14, um, in 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And so we know inside of ourselves that we're children of God. How? Because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. So I know in the inside of me I'm a child of God. I don't need to go and get anybody prophesying over me that, Michael, you're now a child of God. I know I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God inside of me is bearing witness with my spirit that I'm His child. And so, you know, you can tell me as often as you like you're not God's child. That means nothing to me because I just know on the inside of me because the Holy Spirit himself is bearing witness with my spirit. I'm his child. Now, exactly as the Holy Spirit uh, confirms with my spirit that I'm his child, so the Holy Spirit confirms with my spirit in every other area of my life what his will is for my life. So now what I need to understand is. The Holy Spirit knows what I should do. I'm, I'm now on my knees. I'm seeking His counsel. The Holy Spirit knows the answer. My spirit knows the answer as well. Why do you say that? Because my spirit is in the presence of the Holy Spirit all the time. Whatever the Holy Spirit knows, He makes known to my spirit. My spirit doesn't walk in darkness. My spirit walks in light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness. And so my spirit is in constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And remember Jesus said, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will lead you and guide you into all truth, um, and He will show you things to come. And so the Holy Spirit knows what's coming down the line uh, before we even get there. And so He can and does prepare us for what's coming. But where does He do that? He does it in my spirit. His, he bears witness with my spirit as to what God's will is for that situation. And so when I'm praying, my spirit knows the answer. My spirit knows what I should or should not do in that situation. So what I have to now do is get the answer from my spirit up here into my understanding so that I can now act on it. So how do I go about doing that? I pray in tongues. I pray with my spirit. Now, as I'm praying with my spirit, my mind is starting to now shut down kind of because now my, my mind is unfruitful remember and so my mind doesn't understand what my spirit is praying but i'm now focusing my mind to find out from my spirit what god wants me to do because that's what i've come to god for i'm asking in, in with my understanding for 
understanding in this area. And so I'm praying now with my spirit. Now, as I'm praying with my spirit, what you will find is thoughts will start to come up into your mind about that situation. And very often there are thoughts that you never thought before. That, you know, you, it, it, it's something, oh, I didn't think about that. And that is because now what is happening is your spirit is bringing to your consciousness, your spirit is bringing to your mind that which the Holy Spirit has already witnessed with him. And so you can say, okay, so that is what I should be doing about the situation. It might be that while you're praying in other tongues, that which you've already been thinking about just comes back into your brain again. And so that is then like the Holy Spirit just confirming with you through your spirit, yes, that, that is the right thing to do. Go ahead and do that. And you'll also have the peace on the inside of you as you pray with your spirit. So you'll have these thoughts coming up in your mind. Um, the Old Testament saints, uh, Old Testament saints, the Old Testament talks about that um, the counsel of the heart is as deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so with our understanding, we draw out the counsel in our heart. How do we do that? By praying in the spirit and allowing that um, the, those words to, to, to kind of move from our spirit into our soul. But our, our spirits and our, and our souls are, are not separated. They, they're linked. Um, the only thing that can separate the, the soul and the spirit is the Word of God. The book of Hebrews teaches us that. But otherwise, God keeps them completely interlinked. And so it's very um, possible and very easy for spiritual uh, thoughts to come up into the mind. And we can then be led by the Spirit of God but we have to be praying in the Spirit in order to activate um, those thoughts to come up into our minds. Now, God doesn't do it other ways, but this is one of the ways. And, and we're talking about praying in other tongues now as the topic. And that is one of the ways that God does lead us by the Holy Spirit inside our spirits. As we pray um, in the Spirit, those thoughts begin to rise up and we have a clearer understanding, okay, God, that is actually what, I never thought about that before, Lord, thank you for giving me that insight now, and so that is how you want me to deal with the situation, or, okay, Lord, the, what I've been thinking, I, I'm, I'm sensing that there's a peace there, that that is actually what I should be doing anyway, and so that's just confirmation to me that that is what you're wanting me to do in that uh, situation. And so that is how, it, it's not an in-depth uh, teaching on being led by the Spirit. We, I have a whole series being led by the Spirit. But we're talking about uh, the gift of tongues now and the benefit of the gift of tongues. And one of the benefits of the gift of tongues is that as I'm speaking in other tongues, um, I'm becoming more conscious of spiritual things and spiritual thoughts. And so my mind is able to absorb thoughts that would rise up from inside of my spirit. Now, it might be that when you're praying in other tongues, you'd get nothing. And you just need to be considered. You just need to wait on God and keep praying. And it takes a bit of time. And then those thoughts will then come up and you'll, okay, and that, that's what you wanted me to do. Or it might come up uh, straight away, depending, you know, it's as, as the spirit wills. Uh, God knows what he's doing. And so those are the, the, the major benefits that we can discuss with regards to being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Um, and you know, to kind of recap it, when we speak with other tongues, we're praying the perfect will of God. When we speak with other tongues, our spirits are growing stronger. When we're speaking with other tongues, we can also be led by the Holy Spirit at the same time. And so those are the kind of, and we're speaking, we're praying directly to God. And we're praying His perfect will for whatever situation we're, we're in and whatever situation we're praying about. 
And so it is an absolute blessing to the, the saint who will give themselves over to praying in the Spirit as much as possible. Again, I'll quote to you, Paul saying, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And then there's one further aspect that I want to touch on with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll finish the series on this particular point today. And that is that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee. He is, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And let's have a look some scriptures along that line because um, it's also not a concept that is taught very often in the, in the church because it can be controversial because, the, you know, let's just go through the teaching and you can pick it up from there. So I'm going to quote four, four scriptures firstly and uh, then we'll comment on the four scriptures. And you'll see the pattern coming through when we look at the scriptures in the, in the epistles. And the first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. Scripture says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Verse 22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so here very plainly the Scripture teaches us that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has been given to us in our hearts as a guarantee. Sealed and a guarantee. Those two points I wanted to bring out from that uh, portion of Scripture. Then the next one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Scripture says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. So there's the guarantee linked with the Holy Spirit again. Earlier Scripture we saw, He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been given in, um, given in our hearts as a guarantee. And here he says, God has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So there's that word guarantee, and well, sealing not in this passage of Scripture, but the word guarantee comes through again. Let's have a look at another Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted, talking about in Jesus, after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's that word sealed again. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So there's the two terms again. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Guarantee and seal, those two points coming out again in um, conjunction with the Holy Spirit, in, in, in relation to, to the Holy Spirit. And then the last scripture I want to look at and then we'll comment is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, and He's given to us to seal us for our day of redemption. And so it is very important for the, for the saint to be sealed by the Holy Spirit and to receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. And so the, 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 the sealing and the guarantee are the same event. It's not a, we don't get sealed by the Holy Spirit and then He's given to us as a guarantee. When the Holy Spirit is given to us, 
He's, he, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and he's given to us as a guarantee at the same time. It's exactly the same thing. It's just two terms about the same event, being sealed by the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. And so those two, point, uh, two terms are, are interchangeable, kind of. They're synonymous for the same event. But the question now arises is when is the Holy Spirit given to me as a guarantee of my inheritance and when am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Both at the same time, don't forget. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit and He's given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance at the same time when we receive the Holy Spirit. So when does that actually happen? Does that happen when I'm born again? Or does that happen when I am baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because remember we said that when we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit in a measure, for He does come and dwell within us. Uh, for His Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And that is from the moment we're born again. So the Holy Spirit comes and resides within us. But remember, under the when our Lord was teaching the saints, they were born again, but He said, you have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. You haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite subsequent experience to being born again and having the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us when we're born again. So the question we're asking now is that, this, this teaching of being sealed with the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, does that take place when the Holy Spirit comes to reside on inside of us when we're born again? Or does that um, aspect of this sealing and guarantee take place when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit? That is the question that we are asking at this particular point in time. And the answer is given to us in Scripture. And Paul points to the answer when he quotes to us in Ephesians chapter 4. So let's read it again in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Started verse 13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, having believed, so you, that we've already believed, in whom you, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so the, the key is the Holy Spirit of promise. That is the, 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 the pointer that the, that the Holy Spirit is giving to us to indicate to the, the, the Christian as to when we are sealed with this hope. So when are we sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Because that's the key. Let's have a look at what the Holy Spirit of Promise is. The Holy Spirit of Promise is, we can pick it up in three, three uh, passages of Scripture, all giving us the same answer. Let's look at the, the Scriptures. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is our Lord speaking. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, when our Lord said that to them, each one of them had the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them already. They were born again already, but they had not yet received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so our Lord refers to the promise of his Father being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is when our Lord says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. Paul talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as being the promise of the Father. And uh, he equates the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at another scripture. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. 
Um, again, our Lord Jesus speaking. And, and the scripture says, And being assembled together with them, the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. Again, our Lord is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as being the promise from the Father. And so that is the, the, the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of the Father. Let's have a look at another scripture that reinforces that for us. By out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. The scripture is talking and uh, the Holy Spirit talking to us. He says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Here, talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so very clearly, the scripture talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit as being as referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it never refers to the promise of the Holy Spirit as when we receive the Holy Spirit on the inside of us when we're born again. But it always refers to the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit as being the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And Ephesians chapter 4 spoke about the fact that we are um, sealed. Let's go back to it and quote it again. Um, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so very clearly, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And He is at that time given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance. So it's not the, the, the we're not sealed with the Holy Spirit uh, when we're born again. And we, we, we do not receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance when we're born again. We are only sealed by the Holy Spirit when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We are only sealed, uh, given the guarantee of the Holy Spirit when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what is the implication for the believer who has not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because clearly scripture now teaches us they have not yet been sealed with the Holy Spirit and they do not yet have the Holy Spirit given to them as a guarantee of their inheritance. But they do have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them. Don't forget that. And so we need to have a clearer understanding of what scripture means when it says, what is the purpose of being sealed? So why does the scripture teach us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Um, if I can be born again, destined for heaven, a child of God, and yet not yet be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's have a look at again what scripture teaches us regarding uh, being sealed. And we can pick it up in Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. The scripture says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then we're going to look at this, this, the, this, this seal now. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision. A seal of the righteousness of, of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And so here we see in verse 11, Abraham, it was counted him for righteousness when he believed. So he was, as far as God was concerned, he was righteous. 
when he believed. That's when, that's when Abraham was saved. He wasn't born again, but he was saved at that time. And he, that's when he believed. That's when his faith saved him. Circumcision comes on afterwards. Okay, so Abraham was never saved through circumcision because the circumcision is never a, a, a method of, of salvation. And remember the Jews tried to get the, the Gentile church to go down that road. So unless you all good and well believing in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And uh, Paul and the guys took them out and said, that's rubbish. And so that is rubbish. Circumcision is not salvation. Circumcision was a sign of the, the seal Look at the scripture again, verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. And so the circumcision was only given to Abraham as a sign of that seal. Let's have a look at another scripture that helps us along this line. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for believers, not to those who believe. And so we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit um, and given this gift of tongues is a sign of the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's given to us as a sign. It's a, it's a, that is the guarantee. And that kind of also just reinforces what the term guarantee means. For when you have been given a guarantee of something, um, let's say you, 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 you take out insurance and you get, you get given your insurance policy, that's your guarantee that you have, that your, your vehicle is now insured. So you don't have anything else except this piece of, but it's a tangible piece of paper that you take and you go and you file away. And you keep that. And that's your guarantee that your vehicle is now, has now been insured. And so if anybody wants to know, if you want to make a claim on that, and they say, well, you know, can you produce the guarantee? You pull out that piece of paper, you say, here's my guarantee. And so they then um, uphold that guarantee and they perform what they said they were going to do. In the same way, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and we speak in other tongues, that tongue that we're, get, we, we're given at that time is a sign, of the, it's a guarantee of the inheritance that we're going to receive from God. It's, it's like a down payment, kind of. It's not the right term, but, it's a, it's, but it is. It's a guarantee of that which we're still going to inherit. It's, the Holy Spirit at that time is given to the believer as a, as a sign, as, in that tongue is given to them as a sign and a guarantee that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that is the guarantee that they have received, that they have, in fact, been sealed by the Spirit of God. And they are um, destined for eternal life. So every time that a believer speaks in tongues, he's once again just reinforcing that this is my guarantee. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm destined... Uh, for heaven. I'm, I'm, I have this guarantee given to me by God. I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of my redemption. And that is um, really what it, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit also um, entails. There's another that aspect to it as well. You recall we said that when a, a, a Christian is born again, they have no tangible evidence 
that God dwells on the inside of them. Now, they, they do change because their hearts do change and they grow in the Lord and they are changed in their, um, their lifestyle, etc. But there's nothing tangible that they can show as evidence because don't forget when, when, when Abraham was circumcised, that was a sign not only to himself, but also to uh, the outside world that he was now, um, he belonged to God because it was an outward sign. And so when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, remember tongues are given as a sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers. And so it's a sign to those who are outside in the world that these people belong to God. Um, and so... As I said, when, when someone's born again, they had the Spirit of God living on the inside of them, but there's nothing tangible that they can show as evidence to themselves and to the world that God dwells within them. However, a believer who can speak in tongues has this evidence and can, can show it to the world and can show and to themselves. It's the guarantee given by God that they um, are children of God and that they have been redeemed. And they, that's His guarantee given to us of the day of our redemption. And that is another aspect to being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we are given the Holy Spirit as a... As, let me go back to verse Ephesians 4 again. Um, Having believed, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And so it's just another reason why Christians should be baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, because you have this added dimension given to you, and you have the guarantee then given to you by God. Um, and that guarantee is intangible form. Why? Because when you speak out in tongues every time, there's your guarantee. God saying, well, there's my guarantee to you, that you are my purchase possession, and I guarantee you your day of redemption um, is laid up for you in heaven. And we're going to end off the teaching on that point today. Amen.